Hi, I'm Mike Maloney, and welcome to another CSRM podcast. Today's episode is hosted by Dr. Greg Linville. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CSRM podcast. I am Scott, uh, the digital uh, director of digital media here at CSRM, and today we are going to be continuing our conversation on the saving of sports ministry. We have been going through uh, this book, um, and Greg, uh, last episode, we talked about chaplaincy and, and talked about all the different things that goes along with that and how sometimes even chaplaincy is not immune to getting soteriology sotari- oh, wrong. <laughs> um, so now we're going to be looking at chapter nine, which is talking about uh, relevance of soteriology in a multi-faith world. So Briefly explain that to our audience, what you mean by a multi-faith world. Yeah, multi-faith, multi-religion. There are usually considered five major religions, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, Jewish traditions, and Islamic traditions. And there are some other ones as well out there. Um, But those are the five major uh, traditions out in our world. And the word soteriology, for anybody that might just be happening upon this and hasn't been with us prior to, it's, it comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, soter, which means basically salvation. And, and so what does it mean to be saved? And so what we're trying to help people do in their local church, and particularly in their local church sports, rec, and fitness, is figure out how do they go about in the proclamation and affirmation of the gospel so that people can actually come into a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about this in a lot of ways, but today we're focusing on how do, how do we do that in this multi-faith world, this multi-religious world? Because it seems fairly maybe arrogant to a lot of people. Why are you saying this? Why are you why are you saying that that Jesus is the only way? And let me just start by saying, we're not the ones that said that. Jesus was. Jesus was the one who said that. And we're just kind of repeating his, his words on that. But, okay, so why is this important when we, when we talk about this from a multi-religious world? What, why is this specific chapter in here? And uh, in some ways, there may, be, may not be a more relevant chapter in the whole book, because here we are in this sports outreach. Some people call it a movement. We call it a community. But that group has been now we're into our eighth decade. So this goes way back into the 19th century um, and the 20th century, rather 20th century, but in the early 1900s. And then even before that, there were some roots of it, even in the 1800s. So this isn't something that's new, but it's it has been effective, but it is less effective today than it has been. And a lot of the reason that it's been less effective is because, and not just sports ministry, 
or sports outreach, but Christianity in general seems to be falling back in a, in a lot of the West. In England, around 5% of the people attend a Lord's Day worship. That was a bastion of Christianity for centuries. And now America, particularly post-COVID, has dropped dramatically. And so part of it is these things like COVID, but some of it has to do, if not a lot of it has to do, with increasing secularism within America and throughout the world that was predominantly Christian. Countries like New Zealand and Australia and throughout Europe. Um, Many of these places, Canada, have been falling back further and further percentage-wise. And then when you add to that increasing secularization in in the Western world, you have this increasing, virulent, non-tolerant other other religious traditions that are actually persecuting the Christian communities out of existence. Excuse me. You have many places in the world where it's not safe to be a Christian. And so we, we say in these two ways in the Western world and in many places where Christians are being persecuted, how can we within the sports outreach community maintain a relevant approach, a a, a relevant methodology in those kinds of areas. So Scott, that's really Mm -hmm. the bedrock of this chapter. Yeah. And and, and I agree with you because it it seems like, especially just reports I hear from overseas, how, you know, we have high persecution, but yet we're also seeing the Holy Spirit kind of moving in great ways in because they have a good foundation of soteriology over there because their whole mission is about, you know, salvation, where you can come to some of your first world countries like England, like America, like Canada, and you're just kind of like, you know, we don't have the same type of persecutions, but at the same time, we kind of, you know, churches for a lot of people and for a lot of Christians, churches is kind of optional and we don't have that same spiritual solid foundation on Jesus Christ. Sometimes it seems to be kind of more of about, well, whatever I feel like today, if I feel like getting up and going to church, I will. But if not, I'm just going to, you know, either a stay at home and watch it, or I'm just going to do more important things like clean the house or whatever. Um, So when I think about, so thinking about this idea of mission, how do we, you know, go how what's what should be a good foundation for kind of being missional and having that vision of really impacting people um not only worldwide but even just being missional with um especially in a multi-world faith where we have so much i don't know how to phrase it but since we have so much different religions out there and people seem like they can just buy into any of them how do we minister to that well, let's let's create the scenario to answer your okay. question, because a lot of folk have said, become this high school or college basketball coach or softball coach mm-hmm. or volleyball or whatever. And what we're finding is that in America, that those people, their freedom of speech is being curtailed. 
the intolerance of the secular mindset, the intolerance that you can't say anything at all, even if it's your personal faith, and that they they are being virulent, the, the secularists are being virulent and doing the exact same thing that they're accusing a Christian of, of being intolerant. And they're being intolerant of anything to do with Christianity. So in those settings, in those schools, the people often are not allowed to say anything and so, about their faith at the risk of losing their job. Mm-hmm. And then when, even now we're recording this during the, the Advent season, and I was in a, in a store purchasing a present for my wife, and I greeted the, the uh, person, the cashier, with a Merry Christmas. And she was highly offended by that. Mm. And, and it, 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 this is the mindset that we have now. So that's the setting. So then how do we go about this? First mm-hmm. of all, if you're that Division I college basketball coach or the high school coach or any coach, it doesn't matter what division you're in, you've got to keep in mind that, yes, it's important how many games you win. That's it's always important. But when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to ask you, how many people did you win? not how many games you won. And what that says is that we need to be resolute that ultimately what we need to be thinking about is who we are winning to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the professional athlete, it doesn't matter how many autographs they sign or what, how much money they sign for a contract, but how many people did they get to sign up to join them in their faith? And so when we go to the world, we have to recognize that that's what we're up against. So then how do, how do we go about this? Well, first of all, we have to keep in mind what we said, and we're not going to do anything more than just hit the high points of what we said so far in these podcasts. The Great Commission, we got to go. Okay, they've already done that. They become the coach, they become the player, or they're doing this in their local church. They've gone. But now what do they do? Part of what they have to do is live their life in such a way that people respect them, that they have a character about them. There's something different about them. It's not just that they're not cheating, either cheating on the court or cheating on their wife or husband or something, but they're They're in all ways treating people with honor, treating people with love, that that they they treat their players if they're coaches or their coaches if they're players. They treat people differently. And then that allows them to do what Peter wrote about in his epistle, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. In other words, a witness isn't somebody just gets up and starts saying, (laughs) hey, believe in Jesus. They're asked a question. In a courtroom, they're asked a question. And and they can't just start off pontificating. We, in the same way, Scott, if nobody's asking us questions that have something to do that would relate to our faith, I'll explain that in a second, 
then either one of two things are happening. Either we're not living in a way that is demonstrably different and proclaiming the gospel, or two, we're not living around, around people who aren't already followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So then, so then, you know, the questions that they ask us sometimes we might miss. Going back to what I said, I'm going to come back to now, because we don't get what Paul experienced in the uh, in the Philippi jail, where the the jailer said, "What must I do to be saved?" I I don't think I can remember a time when somebody asked me that question, but they have asked me questions like, why don't you go out and get drunk? Why don't you use mm-hmm. language like that? Why don't you take advantage to cheat on your wife? Why do you get the picture or even, it's not just why don't you, but why do you go to church? Why do you raise your kids in that way? Those are the questions, Scott, that we need to be answering. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier and better to win someone to Jesus when they're asking questions when we're, than when we're trying to preach at them and they don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to when we, how, how one interprets the Great Commission. You know, go make disciples, baptize them, teaching them. And it seems like it's always constantly, right. we're always going. But... When we look at Jesus in the Gospels, how many times did Jesus have these teaching moments based on people asking Jesus questions? And a lot of times he would always respond with a question right back at him to answer. Then he would go from there to kind of open things up a little bit more. And when it comes to, I think when it comes to ministering to people, you have to be able to not only to answer those questions that they have, but I think you need to kind of answer those questions based on what your convictions are and what you believe and not try to answer the question just to kind of appease the person who's asking the question. So I think a lot of times it's like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm going to kind of answer that question. And so it's not like, well, why, how come you don't drink? Well, you know, alcoholism runs in my family and I don't like the taste and you leave it at that, but yet you never engage. Plus as a Christian, I feel convicted by the Holy spirit that I don't drink. But you leave that part out because we don't want to offend. And it's like, well, if you're given reasons and account why you don't drink, I mean, yeah, maybe you have a family history of alcoholism. So that is true. Maybe you don't like the taste of alcohol. That is true. But you are also a believer in Christ. So if you are, if you say that too, then you're only given like three point presentation of here's the reasons why I don't drink. And I think that is something that is, important um so so greg where do we go from there then well yeah and i think there's obstacles beyond just what's going on um the 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 obstacles that have that i'm sorry just hit a button and there we go there you go the the obstacles that we we come we come in contact with within ourselves I think we have a fear. There's a natural born fear. Mm. And some of it is, yes, I might lose my job, but a lot of it is just that people are going to think me weird or I don't know how to do this. We'll come back to that in another session here. But it's it's also that there's just lack of good models, particularly 
in these situations, whether it's a really secular situation or it's in a in a country in the or a region in the world where where Christians are being persecuted, we need better models um, in that. And then ultimately, it's it's that we we just don't actually believe the gospel. We mm. don't have a resolute faithfulness to the gospel. Let, let me address that one first, and then move back to the second one. Um, the we have whole denominations now in America that are saying that it is actually immoral, unethical to try to lead somebody to Jesus if they're of another uh, religious tradition. If they have no religion, then of course maybe it's okay. But even there, sometimes well, they have a secular religion. It's and you know, and God's not going to judge these people because they're faithful. And um, that's not the Bible. I, I and, and I wish it was. I wish we could just say everybody's going to be in heaven with Jesus for all of eternity, and it doesn't matter what you do or what you believe. But that's just not the case. And all of the major religions, every religion, has their own, this is what is orthodox. Mm-hmm. Not orthodox Christianity, but this is what is true to that faith. And we have to be resolute in our belief that unless somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be separated from God for eternity. Mm-hmm. That heaven and hell are real, and that we're going we're gonna to make a choice to either receive the gift of, of Jesus or not. And so that's one of the things we need to do. But let's go back to this model. I'll, I'll give you an example of a church that we, we, we have uh, worked significantly with in a country where uh, another religious tradition is very prevalent. And in fact, if you go against that religion in that particular part of the world, you can be incarcerated and maybe even beheaded. Um, there's some things that are pretty drastic there. So how do we do that with a person? Now, it's interesting in that particular country that if you proselytize, meaning pro-go, you go out there, proselytize, you go out there to try to win them to your faith, that's when you can be arrested and, and, and persecuted, prosecuted, if you will. Then, however, if somebody asks you the question like we just talked about, then it's okay. So what we have done for groups like that is we've given them what we call a gospel ball. And it's a, it's a soccer ball. Most people in the world call it football. And it's, it's colored oriented. So just think of this, the blue, the blue color on the ball from a blue sky from heaven, God came to a green earth to shed his red blood so that we could wear a gold crown. And we, we give them a ball like that and they take it to their games and practices and they kick it around and their, their teammates says, Hey, that's an interesting football. What, what's the, what are those colors? Well, if I tell you about the colors, you're going to hear about my faith. Is that okay? Well, what do you mean? Well, the colors are on the ball to remind me of my faith 
And if I tell you about them, you're going to, you're asking me to tell you, well, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Tell me. That's a model hmm. that we have. And there are many other models that we would encourage people. I know you're probably getting down to the end of time, but this is a model that we have mm-hmm. to, to work in the, in the multi-faith world. And um, just, just a challenge to kind of wrap that up. And that, that is, are you called to go to all the world, even the world that is going to persecute you, even a world that's going to laugh at you and make fun of you? Well, if so, then let's go, brothers and sisters, let's go. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. to go. And there's a few other things that we'll, we'll lay out there for, as models in our next time, I'm sure, Scott. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just to kind of kind of follow that up, if, you, uh, if you're listening and you're very interested about what Greg's talking about with the soccer balls, uh, you can definitely find out all this information and just kind of the global impact we're making with CSRM on our website. That is csrm.org. Again, you can also not only look at all the great things we're doing, both domestic, domestically and internationally, but you can also purchase this book, The Saving of Sports Ministry. Um, it has been a very um, wonderful resource for you to have. And definitely, we'll, uh, next episode, we will definitely talk about some more about these models and kind of sum up everything we have discussed um, throughout this book. So until then... Hope you guys are having a blessed week. Hopefully you guys are having a great day of celebrating the um, arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ during this Advent season. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The CSRM Podcast is a production of CSRM and their production house, Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville is the executive producer, and Scott Stedman is the associate producer and editor. To learn more about CSRM, visit csrm.org. For more information about Overwhelming Victory, visit overwhelmingvictory.org. The CSRM Podcast is the flagship member of the podcast network, Overwhelming Victory Radio. For more information on Overwhelming Victory Radio, or to listen to our partner podcasts, visit overwhelmingvictory.org backslash OV Radio. For CSRM Podcasts, I'm Mike Maloney. Have a blessed day.